This podcast is proudly part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out more Kaiju and Tokusatsu goodness, go to kaijuramenmedia.com. Him. Standing by. Complete. Greetings, heroes of the internet. I'm Nathan, and this is Henshin Men, a podcast that celebrates Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures. In this installment, I'll be discussing Kamen Rider episodes 76 and 77. Electric Monsters, the Sea Dragons, Sambiki no Hatsuden Kaijin, Chidoragon. An old woman sells Choco and two members of the Rider Kid Gore Kaiju in a can, for which come seahorses that grow into Shocker Kaijin. The three Sea Dragons terrorize the city and even succeed in kidnapping Hongo. Now Ambassador Hell intends to replace Kamen Rider's brain with an evil AI. <laughs> Alrighty then. See, this one is kind of interesting. This was another pair of episodes that I watched in anticipation of recording with Travis. And as you undoubtedly heard in my little mini-sode about the future of this podcast and how things are going, that didn't quite work out. So here I am re-watching it and covering it solo. So I am fresh off of re-watching these episodes. So... I have opinions, as you would expect. First off, I have to say, I find the evil plot of the week from Shocker a little bit funny. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, instant kaiju, just add water. I had those as a kid. Well, yes and no. I had something that was kind of similar to this, but basically, and I think they still make these, basically what they are is that you can get things that look like they're about the size of a pill, like an allergy pill or something like that, you know, a capsule. It's made of plastic, and then you throw it in warm water, and eventually the plastic softens up, and then out from it springs a sponge that's in the shape of, say, an animal or a tree or something like that, dinosaurs. So that's what I was thinking of when I was watching this. It's kind of clever and diabolical, but my question becomes, was Shocker intending on selling these to a bunch of kids so we would have potentially hundreds of sea dragons running around? Or were they just going to sell it to our two common Kennys and to Choco? Still trying to figure that out. Also, not sure who the old lady is. Are there old ladies in Shocker? I mean, given what is said by the next kaijin in the next episode, I don't know if there would be. And usually when we have seen old ladies supposedly working for Chucker, they're bad guys in disguise. That sounds like a band name, bad guys in disguise. Huh, poet and don't know it. Anyway, I also did wonder later, wrote this in my notes, and admittedly, I don't think this is true, but I wrote, is it popular to have pet seahorses? Well, I don't think those kids necessarily had pet seahorses as it's just that's what came out because 
it was a seahorse, and then it turned into Sea Dragon. Which, in case you don't know, why is it a seahorse and then its name is Sea Dragon? A sea dragon is a species of seahorse, if I remember correctly. And then, you want to know how to establish that your villain is truly evil. You have him kill the dog. Yep. Sea dragon kills the dog. It's dummy all over again. Justice for dummy. Justice for this kid's dog, because I don't think they mentioned his name. So there you go. He wakes up and he explodes a dog. You monster. You monster. Now, I will say this. Sea Dragon has a pretty cool looking suit. Actually, both Kaijin in this week's episodes look really cool. They were in contention for best special effect because they are some very nice looking suits. And this one, they're well, they're both cool for different reasons. The Sea Dragon is nicely intimidating. It actually does genuinely look like a seahorse but I have to give the creators of the show credit. They took something that would not normally be threatening and they made it look threatening. But then we get to a scene that is just so odd. It, Travis and I talked about before about the tonal shifts that the show goes through and how in some episodes it is weirdly silly when before it was weirdly dark. And we've had some weirdly dark episodes since the first 13 with Hongo, which was really dark, like I said. But now we have this one, and this is probably another case of the filmmakers on the show having made a movie, experimenting a little bit, and trying to be a little bit more cinematic, but it's also a little bit odd. So the cinematographer here almost won an award. We have the camera right above, you know, basically on the ceiling with our common Kenny and this uh, the first sea dragon, because there's three of them, which I'll get to in a second. And the sea dragon is trying to chase common Kenny, so they go around his, this table in the kid's room because that's where he first awakens in the middle of the night. So we're doing the bump in the night, monster in the closet, under the bed sort of trope here. And they fast forward it. It was a little weird. And you know, then it ends with the kid saving himself by spraying Sea Dragon with a fire extinguisher. But then it just cuts. And I'm assuming that the kid, well, I know the kid got out. So it's just weird. I guess Sea Dragon doesn't like fire extinguishers. I mean, there was, it felt like there was a scene missing. You know, what happened immediately after that? I, you know, did Sea Dragon just retreat? Did mom and dad come in? I mean, I don't understand what's going on. It's a little odd. And then we get to another scene with Ambassador Hell talking with, I believe it was Sea Dragon. No, he was just watching things unfold. That's what he was doing. And then later he was talking to Shocker Leader. And there were a couple of good lines from Ambassador Hell there, one of which won best line this week but i'm going to mention the one that wasn't the winner which was ambassador hell giving a report to shocker leader says wherever sea dragon goes mountains of dead will follow yep there you go ambassador hell getting yourself some good villain lines in this week so you know how we've talked about before how the shocker goons and the shocker kaijin always like making weird noises, and sometimes they sound kind of funny. I talked about that with Rosaranga last week. Well, now we have another one with Sea Dragon, all three of them. First one in particular. The noise he made almost sounded like actual language, not just a weird noise. And maybe my ears are playing tricks on me. You know, it's kind of like Mortal Kombat gibberish. You, you listen to it, you think they're saying something. 
You're not quite sure? Well, one of the things I thought he was saying was a word I can't repeat. Let's just say it rhymes with itch and starts with a B. Yeah, B woman itch. Right, there you go. <laughs> I'm going to rim shot myself for that. Yeah, that sounded kind of dirty. I didn't mean it that way. Anyway, moving on. Or I thought he was saying niche, like niche fandom, you know, that sort of a thing. I know, I'm weird. So then we get our first major action sequence, our first major fight scene here where Kamen Rider, Hongo, Henshin starts fighting the bad guys. So it's on what looks to be a half-completed building, so there's not walls on it, which is a great set piece because it potentially sets it up so that Kamen Rider can knock the bad guys over the ledge. Well, which does happen. Well, the camera is angled in such a way that it look you can't see what's actually... You can't see fully what's going on, and obviously the actor... The stuntman punched a goon, goes onto the ground, and then he's reaching out to grab something, and the camera's angled in such a way that you can't tell that what he's actually doing is he's not grabbing the actor, he's grabbing a dummy and throwing the dummy over the edge, and they just throw in sound effects with the goon screaming as he falls. It's unintentionally funny, I admit. <laughs> dummy technology has come a long way since then. A long, long way. My award for best action sequence, admittedly, was during that, which I'll get to later. But I mentioned that this does something a little bit different with some of the tropes here. Typically, with these episodes, now we get multiple fights, and usually it's always against the same kaijin, generally speaking. I think there might be one other exception. But anyway, there's three sea dragons in this, and each fight the Kamarider has is not against the same one, it's against a different one, which I think is a nice spin to put on things, which is really what the show is trying to do at this point. It's recycling a lot of things. So at this point, they are just trying to put new spins on all of these tropes that they keep going to. And then we get to a point where once again, Hongo gets captured. This has happened before. And I would think this would be a higher priority for Shocker because, hey, they made Kamen Rider. They can unmake Kamen Rider, you know, fun stuff like that. So they capture him again, and they're not going to do brainwashing, which, well, it's kind of brain... No, it's brainwashing, and yet it's not brainwashing. Again, putting a spin on an old trope. Ambassador Hell plans to literally remove Hongo Cerebrum and Cerebellum, basically carve out his brain and replace it with a quote-unquote evil AI. So he's going to give him a computer brain. It's a good idea, and admittedly, it's a little weird because there is a disembodied brain sitting next to unconscious Hongo while the bad guys are talking about this. And we get a couple more Shocker Goons. I, that will never get old. <laughs> Dr. Shocker Goons. And they intend on doing that, and then they're like, hoo -hoo, look at this drill. This drill's so cool. You know, like, you know they uh, were it right next to Hongo's face, and then they drill the side of the... Uh, the side of the bed that he's on. I was like, are you testing it to make sure it works? You know, is this for you? Is it for the audience? Uh, you know, it's, I'm just thinking it's, it's a little bit of padding, maybe just a little bit, but then it turns out, ha ha, I am Hongo. I was faking the entire time so that you would take me to your base. Ha ha. He just wakes up, surprises all of them. Okay. I've read enough Silver Age comic books to know this is the kind of stuff that you do. And then we get to another award contender because I think this would have gone to the WTH because it is weirdly gruesome. Again, remember, this is a kid's show or at least a family show 
But Japanese sensibilities, especially in the 70s, as you can tell from this, are very different because Kamen Rider is like, hey, I need to go get Chekhov's drill and use Chekhov's drill <laughs> because we were showing it off so much. And he takes it and he uses it against Sea Dragon 2. I mean, he's already killed Sea Dragon 1 in that first fight scene, so now we have Sea Dragon 2. And he does it by drilling several body parts, including the poor Kaijin's eye. Yes. Drill to the eye. So it's like the hand, I think, in the chest. And then he goes straight for the eye. For the kids! Good Lord. Was not entirely prepared for that. Thankfully, mercifully, Sea Dragon bleeds foam? He's filled with scrubbing bubbles, I guess? That's a little odd, but again, it makes it so that we don't go full tilt R rating with this. Because <laughs> again, for the kids. But it's still gruesome. And then he basically falls over into presumably a puddle of his own blood and dissolves. Nice job, show. And then Sea Dragon 3 shows up and picks a fight, and that and that becomes our final set piece for the episode. And it's pretty fun. And then we get to a moment that is eerily similar to Godzilla versus Megalon, but I'm pretty sure this does technically predate Godzilla versus Megalon. I mean, we're getting pretty late in the show's run. I might have to check the air date for this. You know what? I'm going to do that right now. What's the air date for this one? 1972. September 16th, 19... No, it's actually September 9th, 1972. So this does predate Godzilla versus Megalon by about six, seven months, at least, if I remember correctly. So we get a moment that is eerily similar because... Sea Dragon 3, well, all of them have this. They have a, it has an, uh, basically an electro whip that makes sparks and everything, electrocutes people. That's actually how the whole thing started. It was a mystery. Sea Dragon murders some people, and Taki is investigating and tells Hongo about it. And then we have it happen here, and he basically makes a, a, a ring of fire around Kamen Rider with the electro whip. And he's like, ha-ha, I've trapped you. And I'm thinking to myself, Sea Dragon... Did you forget that Kamen Rider is really good at jumping? He's a grasshopper, man. Which is, like, again, there's a scene very similar to that in Godzilla vs. Megalon where Godzilla and his robot sidekick Jet Jaguar get surrounded by a ring of fire by Megalon and Gigan, the enemy monsters in that movie. And then after posing dramatically, being like, oh my gosh, what do we got to do? Suddenly, Jet Jago remembers, hey, I can fly. And then he flies Godzilla out of the ring of fire, and they proceed to mop the ever-loving floor with Megalon and Gigan. Same thing basically happens here. And then the episode ends, the fight scene ends, with Sea Dragon 3 getting thrown into some water, and he explodes. Again, in contention for the Best Special Effect Award this week. And then, for at least a moment... All is right with the world. Until the next episode, which I'll get to right now. The Monster Newtgeth Showdown at Hell Ranch. Kaijini Morgasu Jigoku Bokujo no Keto. Determined to build an underground airport to bomb Japan, Shocker dispatches their latest Kaijin Newtgeth to destroy a ranch on the land. 
Nuke gets attacks are witnessed by a little girl who becomes the Kaijin's next target. Now the writer Kid Car and Hongo fight to protect the girl and her ranch home. Am I the only one who got some Western flashbacks with this? I mean, that's basically what this is, right? Somebody wants the land. There's already a rancher, so they're trying to run the people who own the ranch off the land so they can have it. <laughs> all you have to do is replace all these characters with cowboys and common writer with John Wayne, and you got a classic American Western there. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> so we have Newt Geth Gingrich. Oh, wait, no. Sorry. Nope, sorry. Getting a little mixed up there. It's a... Kind of a bad pun, I know. I know. But for some people, <laughs> Newt Gingrich is a shocker kaijin. I'm just saying. Anyway, so we get a, a lot more. We kind of did in the last episode. We're getting a lot more of the common canny force. I'm getting the impression now, several episodes in, that the common canny force is going to be very integral going forward. And once again, while they do prove to be at least a little bit useful, they are mostly there to get themselves in trouble. Got some serious dummies in distress here. Good Lord, you would think they would learn, but nope, these kids got to keep throwing themselves into trouble and need to be rescued. It's I wonder if they think that that's the only way they can meet Common Rider now or something, but I'm probably overthinking things. But they, again, know about Shocker. I don't know how they know about Shocker, but they know about Shocker. I just, again, worst secret society ever. I don't know. Maybe Common Rider tells them to watch for Shocker so they get privileged information, but why would you share that with... Anyway, overthinking it. So, some of the weirdness in here. So, another WTH that was in contention from this episode because, again, the show wants to go back to its horror roots and push the limits of what could be called a kid show because Newt Gath travels by dissolving himself into blood? I mean, he comes out of a faucet, he goes under doors, he goes through cracks in the wall, by, again, turning himself... And I'm assuming it has to be blood because it's the right color. I'm not sure what else it's supposed to be, if he could do that, I could think of some much more horrifying things that he could do than just trying to run some people off of a ranch. Although I also, you'll appreciate this, Travis, because I know you're listening to this episode. It also reminded me, especially with the faucet, it reminded me of Beware the Blob or Son of Blob, you know, the SOB. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> which was a film that I had Travis on, the Monster Island Film Vault, one of my other podcasts to discuss. It's a sequel to the original Blob made 15 years, 14, 15 years later, and it has a scene where the Blob comes through in a faucet, and it's about the same color. It's a very ruby red. So maybe he's the Blob. I don't know. Maybe Newt Geth is the leftover from the Blob. But, but speaking of Newt Geth, I do want to say the Newt Geth suit does look pretty cool in this i've compared some of the past lizard-like kaijin to the gorn from star trek and i did the same thing here i basically said he's a bumpy gorn which is pretty accurate he's got really bumpy skin like a newt well i guess not every newt would necessarily look like that it almost looks more like a lizard than a newt to be honest but hey i'm not going to argue with him 
Now, something that I mentioned, it's like, why is there an old lady working for Shocker? And why it's kind of contradicted here because Shocker is a little confusing. There's a point where Newt Geth is menacing some people from on that ranch late at night. And he flat out says, Shocker has no use for women and children. We know that's a lie, Newt Geth. That's a lie. Unless this is a new policy from Shocker, that's a lie. Because we've only had 398 chapters of Children of the Shockhorn at this point. And you have exploited women before, too. I've, there's been enough mind control episodes where those poor girls keep getting mesmerized by you. So we know you're not beyond using women and children as tools. You evil, evil fiends, you. So stop it, man. Stop it. You need to get your story straight, okay? Shocker, you need to get your story straight. You know, what level of evil are you willing to go to? All right? <laughs> Apparently... All of them, but, you know, and lying apparently is part of that. And apparently Newt Geth, because he can dissolve into blob blood or whatever, he can go wherever there's water. Seems weirdly OP to me. I'm not sure what the limit of that is. Because if it's anywhere, that's kind of ridiculous. If there's a range to it, I might be willing to go with it. Or if he has to actually travel there through the water, it's still weird. But I'm willing to go with it. All right, so we also return to Hell Valley, which is something we talked about a handful of episodes ago. It is a real place in Japan. And again, as I said then, I'm going to say it again, Shocker apparently just hangs out there. I mean, it seems appropriately named for them. I mean, why wouldn't you, if you're an evil secret society, hang out in a place called Hell Valley? <laughs> kind of a given, right? I mean, it's pre-named for you. <laughs> So then we get to, again, the first major fight scene of the episode. And we're going back to a set piece that has kind of become popular with Common Rider at this point, which is fighting on a waterfall. And the reason I like it particularly here is the, the cinematography is very nice with it. But something that I keep reminding myself that makes this even more impressive is that that's a real waterfall. And those are real people doing real stunts at that waterfall. They come right up to the edge of that waterfall to do these fight scenes. I think it's something that we take for granted now because nowadays that would have been done with green screening. At least in modern Hollywood, it would have been done with green screening. And I don't want to knock that, but the fact that it's a real place with real people adds some authenticity and honestly, in a weird way, some real danger because I know that those stunt people were working to not fall off. I mean, it's the same thing with the last episode where they're fighting on the ledge of an actual incomplete building. One wrong move and someone is actually going to fall off and potentially die. I mean, I don't know if they had you know safety harnesses or one of those big pillow, inflated pl pillow things. I don't know what the technical term is for it in case somebody fell off. But still, it's all real, and I like it. So we go to the next scene with Taki and Hongo doing their thing, investigating, going to the ranch, and we get, we're back to, Shocker's back to using message daggers. I kind of miss the message daggers. They haven't done the message daggers in a while, so I'm glad to see them again. That's just a little detail I just wanted to say I appreciate. When we get to the last set piece, after a couple members of the Common Candy Force have been kidnapped, including a little girl, I might add, who got hurt, during the first action sequence, uh, there's a moment there that is definitely getting the award, which I'll get into in a minute. But one of the things that I think is really cool is Taki shows up 
Hongo's there, but he hasn't transformed yet. So Taki shows up, and he's disguised with a straw hat. And I don't know, maybe it comes from growing up watching Mortal Kombat, playing a little bit of Mortal Kombat or whatever, and then seeing similar things in some other media. But seeing guys in straw hats show up, it's just inherently cool. So I liked seeing it here, and the reveal that it was Taki was nice. I mean, I, I called it as soon as he showed up. Because you can't see his face at first. I called it as soon as he showed up. Like, that's Taki. I wasn't a fool. But it was still a nice reveal. And then another thing th that we get back to in this, that I this is a trope that I have been missing. And that is battle banter. We've, we're back to actually having Kamen Rider and the Kaijin throwing one-liners at each other. I'm like, oh, how I miss this. Oh, yeah, the script writer in me was very happy to have that back. I, now, did any of those lines make it into my best line award? Not this week, but in past weeks, they have. But, you know, I'm a sucker for some nice zingers during a fight. And then, you know, want to know another way that you can really establish that your kaijin, your villain, is a threat? Well, yeah, do something like have him survive the rider kick because he gets nailed with the rider kick and he even rolls down a hill, but he still gets back up. And he's like, holy crap, I, I need to run away. I'm like, oh, and then Kamen Rider has to chase him down and then use a new move or rather a new variation on an old move. The Raida Screw Kick, which he literally spins like a ballerina in midair, which is impressive. I don't know how that makes it more powerful, but, you know, 70s toku logic, I guess. <laughs> but it does take a minute to kill Newt Geth. You know, he uh, kind of reels in pain there for a minute or so, and then he blows up. I guess he's uh, tougher kaijin than usual. You know, we'll put him a... A little bit higher on the list of toughest kaijin from Shocker. I'm sure that was a tremendous loss for Shocker to lose that one because, like I said, he's a tough cookie. Huh. And then it ends with Ambassador Hell promising to show Kamen Rider his true power. I'd like to know what you mean by that, sir. Are you talking about actually fighting Kamen Rider yourself, finally, or something else? Can you elaborate, please? I'd love to, though. But... That brings us to the end of our second episode this week on Henshin Men. And now it is time for the Trademark Awards. These are fun little awards that we give to outstanding elements of the TV episodes or movies, because sometimes we do that, that we covered this week. Starting with the Henshin Kick Award for the Best Stunter Fight Scene. And this goes to something that was in the Sea Dragon episode. This was done through a combination of clever editing and some excellent stunt work. There is a scene on the unfinished building where Kamen Rider falls over the edge with Sea Dragon because he was going for the legs. He's like, his legs are his weak spot. He goes for the legs and, I don't know, tries to do a double leg takedown like a high school wrestler. Takes him down, Olympic wrestler. Takes him down. So... Sea Dragon hits first, and he just crashes and incinerates. Common Rider is able to land on his feet, and then he just springs right back up, does a flip, and he goes right back to the ledge where he came from. It's preposterous, but it's cool. And honestly, that's a good way to describe this show. Preposterous, but cool. Actually, most tokusatsu, especially at this point, preposterous, but cool. Yep. <laughs> All right, and then next up we have Takatoku for the best special effect. I hinted at it already, 
But Sea Dragon, particularly Sea Dragon 3, has an electro whip, and everywhere that that whip touches, there is a shower of sparks. And I got to say, it's an incre- it's a great practical effect, and I'm impressed with how well it was implemented, particularly on a television budget in the 70s. So it really added some, well, I guess you could say sparkle to the proceedings. And the next up, we have coming at you for the best line. So this is the other line from Ambassador Hell that I got from the same scene. And this is the one that ended up winning out. The longer version of it actually enhances it, but I only wrote down the first bit of it. And that is where he is watching the proceedings between Kamen Rider and Sea Dragon 1. And he's <laughs> watching it and cackling and cheering on his kaijin. <laughs> and, sa- and he says, scream, scream louder, Takeshi Hongo. <laughs> yeah, great villain line. Yeah, you can always count on Ambassador Hell for some great villain lines. And then we come to one of my favorite awards. Actually, I think it is my favorite award. WTH, what the henshin for the craziest moment. And admittedly, you would think at this point, I've talked about this before, I've gotten used to the frequent crucifixions at this point on this show that I'm kind of inured to them. But then they decided to take it a step further and they crucified children. This is in the second episode with Newt Geth. Those common Kennys, they tied them to crosses. They didn't nail them. And then they put a bunch of brush underneath them and set them on fire. We nearly had children be crucified and burned for the kids. Again, you could tell it was a different time and a different culture, but thankfully Taki with his cool straw hat showed up, knocked some goons around, kicked the fiery brush away and saved the children. So we were spared (laughs) the really dark moment where some members of the common candy force really do die for their hero, whether it was worth it or not. You be the judge. And now it's time for Minute to Henshin It. This is the part of the show where I give my final thoughts in one minute or less. And here we go. So we're getting a little bit farther into the home stretch here. I've been complaining for a little while that the show is recycling a lot of tropes on a lot of conventions, but it's starting to get away from that at least a tiny bit. And if they are going to reuse ideas, they're trying to put at least some interesting new spin on it. You can definitely tell, though, that this was a show that was meant to be watched one episode a week and not binged. It, it, I would not call this a bingeable show unless you can just make yourself do it because you get a lot of sameness in each episode, which it's not a knock against it. It's just this is how TV was done at the time. But thankfully, thankfully, like I said, they're trying to put new spins on things and not completely recycle it all, which is much appreciated because it can get a little bit old. Ha, did that in a little less than a minute. I'm proud of myself. (laughs) Yeah, listening to The Drift Space, which we totally didn't steal this from. (laughs) I've gotten really good at it. 
Really, really good at it. Yeah, and my other show, The Power Trip, totally didn't steal the awards. No, not at all. Not at all. So anyway, my journey through the remainder of Common Rider continues next time, heroes of the internet. So until then, thank you for listening to Henshin Men, a Tokusatsu Appreciation Podcast. You can find links to all of our social media in the description of this episode. You can listen to more of Travis on the backlog of Kaiju Weekly and listen to more of me on the Monster Island Film Vault and The Power Trip, a journey through the Power Rangers franchise, our sister podcast in the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. If you found some enjoyment from this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podchaser. And until next time, what am I going to say? Well, if Hongo was a pro wrestler, do you think his ring name would be Henshin Kara? This podcast is part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcasting Network and is copyright 2022 Kaiju Ramen Media, LLC.